This is Radio Maria, and now we present Just Life. This program is a rebroadcast. Just Life, a program from Radio Maria England. Good morning, everyone. This morning we are joined by Father Colin Carr OP. Good morning, Father Colin. Good morning, Elizabeth. Father Colin, you might recognize his voice. He is a Dominican priest from Blackfriars, the local priory here in Cambridge of St. Michael the Archangel. And recently he's been featuring on questions of faith and prayer and intentions. And Today, he is going to be telling us the very fascinating story about his evangelical background. Can you believe it? How he became a Catholic and a Dominican friar. Over to you, Father Colin. Good. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yes, people are often interested in learning that I haven't been a Roman Catholic all my life. I became one in about my middle, late 20s. Um, And I had an evangelical upbringing. I hope I'm still in an important sense of the word, evangelical, because we Catholics use that term too, meaning simply um, conforming to the gospel. But in English church life, evangelical usually refers to people who have a a particular uh, understanding of Christian faith, a very deep and personal understanding of Christian faith, uh, with great trust in the Uh, reliability of the Word of God in the Bible, and a personal relationship with Jesus as their Savior. And I grew up with that, and I'm very, very grateful for that background. There's nothing that, in a sense, contradicts Catholicism, although I did grow up thinking it did, (laughs) um, because I hadn't fully understand what it meant to be a Catholic. And sadly, since the Reformation, uh, Catholics and evangelicals or and other Christians grew apart from each other um, and in many ways now are coming to understand each other better. Um, what I'm grateful for, one of the things I'm grateful for, is uh, my father's great love of the scriptures. My mother, too, um, loved the scriptures. And I had one brother, an older brother, And very often on, say, a Sunday evening or some other evening, my father would have us sit beside him on the sofa and he'd tell us Bible stories. We got to know the Bible really well as a living book. And I wish more Catholics would actually um, get this sort of attitude to the Bible too, because it's a lovely reality. It's the story of God's dealing with God's people. Uh, And in the end, it's what the experts usually call salvation history, getting saved by God. Um, And saved was a very important word for us. We uh, would not usually go up to people, you know, like the sort of comic figure uh, in maybe radio plays or something saying, are you saved? Uh, Because that just frightens people away and they run a mile um, if they can. but we we were very aware of the fact that God has sent Jesus Christ to save us. And 
we are invited to put our trust in him as our saviour. Very often when I was younger, it was put in terms of asking Jesus to come into your heart. Uh, one of the favourite images we had, um, we, were not, we were not in favour of images, but I mean, one of the pictures we had was the Holman Hunt one, which is in St. Paul's Cathedral and in Keble College, Oxford, of Jesus knocking at the door, which is uh, seen as the door of the human heart. And it was often pointed out that the handle isn't there on the outside. It's, it has to be opened from the inside by the person hearing Christ's request to come in. And so at some stage in my life, I think I would say that I asked Jesus into my heart. Though I think now that one would have to say, we have to go on and on asking him into our heart, because sometimes we, we seem to find we've bundled him outside and we need to be reminded that he wants to come in. So there was this great love of the scriptures, a love of Jesus himself. Um, it went along with um, a very strong sense of truthfulness, of integrity, and so forth. Um, and many evangelicals in the past also were very, very committed to uh, social justice. Uh, I don't want to drop names. Well, I do actually. I mean, I'm dropping a name now. My great, 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 I don't know how many greats aren't, was Elizabeth Fry, a great reformer. And she was an evangelical preacher in the, the days when Quakers and evangelicals were not rather different animals. And she was obviously very concerned for justice for prisoners and for all sorts of reform of the penal system, uh, helping people who were being um, deported to Australia and so forth. And so she was a great um, reformer and uh, social justice crusader. But in my own experience of evangelicalism, we, we were concerned about saving souls, making sure that people accepted Jesus as their saviour, but not so concerned about justice for people, about equality, about care for the environment. Well, of course, that's a much more modern concern, uh, really, for, for most people, this care for the environment. But justice and peace and the integrity of creation, to use the sort of uh, strap line, was not really our bundle. It was very good that people did um, things which, which helped society, which helped the poor and so on. But it wasn't somehow seen in, in my particular kind of evangelical upbringing as the uh, as essential, as absolutely integral to being a Christian. Uh, it was a matter of preaching the gospel, making sure people came to Christ as their saviour, and um, it didn't necessarily have political implications of justice, peace, and the integrity of creation. Um, and so I was beginning in my own life to get a bit concerned about issues of equality and so forth. I actually grew up in a rather um, privileged situation, and I, I was beginning to think, well, I shouldn't really have those privileges. Um, I went to a, like a private school, which they called a public school, um, 
and was able to get into Cambridge, actually, and, and was very involved in the Christian Union, the KQ, here in Cambridge 60 years ago. Um, and I'm very grateful for all of that background. But we somehow seem to lack a commitment to justice. And I think what was lacking was the notion that the incarnate Jesus Christ is in our midst, in our flesh, with a concern for the whole of creation, not just people's souls, but their bodies as well. And it's plain and simple in the gospel. He healed people. He fed people. And I don't think it would be right to say, oh, but the really important thing was that he taught people. He taught them. He fed them. He healed them. Uh, all of those things were godly things to do, were evangelical things to do. And so I began to look at other understandings of Christianity, and I had some uh, Catholic cousins, and I was liable to, um, to meet them from time to time, and they seemed to be, have a very happy faith and also a very strong sense of justice for people. So that's what began to attract me to the Catholic Church, as well as the fact that it had always been there, and surely God didn't suddenly withdraw the Holy Spirit from the church uh, around the end of the first century AD and then only come back with Martin Luther or someone like that. Uh, what was happening in the 1400 years, 1500 years really, between uh, those times? So I began to inquire about the Catholic Church and found that I was attracted to it. And I think what particularly attracted me was that it was about the incarnate Jesus Christ, Christ in our flesh, Christ sharing our life, our concerns for everything, whether it was people's spiritual condition or their physical condition, because it's a spiritual problem that there are people suffering from hunger and disease. It's not just a physical problem, it's a spiritual problem. So that's what attracted me to the church, as well as all sorts of other things, and I might mention them again in a few minutes' time. But I think it's probably now time to have a break uh, from my boring voice and to um, uh, listen to some uh, lovely music. Father Colin, thank you so much. And not boring at all. This is Rock of Ages Cleft. Rock of ages cleft for me Let me hide myself in thee Let the water and the blood From thy wounded side which flow Be of sin the double cure Save from
Rock of Ages cleft for me. Apologies for the American version, Father Colin, but I believe you're going to tell us something about this hymn. Yes, lovely. Um, Augustus Montague Toplady. Well, these hymn writers had marvellous names um, who lived from 1740 to 1778. Gosh, such a short time. Anyway, um, he was... Uh, walking around the Cheddar Gorge area. Uh, it was in a place called Burrington Coombe, I think it was, uh, where I know our family once picnicked there. And I think we discovered the cleft of a rock in which he hid when a terrific rainstorm hit. And inside that cleft, he found, I believe, a playing card. And perhaps on the back of it, he was able to start writing this hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me and it was very much about his dependence on Christ to save him and the the third of the four verses says nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul I to the fountain fly wash me saviour or I die and that speaks a lot to me. It's not the, the whole of my faith, but it is a very basic part of faith, that we simply come as we are, and without trying to bring our own um, goodness in, because we find we haven't got enough of it, and we come to Christ as our Saviour. And that is something that um, I very much owe to my evangelical background, but it's still very much the case now. For any any Catholic, they would say, well, I can't do it myself. I have to depend on God as my saviour. So that's um, how it happened. So it must have been written, I should think, in about 1760, sometime after 1760 or so. So it's been going quite a long time. 
Thank you. That's fascinating. And um, I'm going to investigate some some British versions. And uh, for anyone in Cambridge, it apparently is in the uh, Fisher House and Blackfriars Hymnal. Which number is it, Father Colin? Number 445. 445. Well, the, the New English Hymnal. I think Fisher House and, and um, Blackfriars both have the same uh, hymnal. Um, it, it's, an Angli- it's an Anglican hymnal, but it, it's um, very, very useful for liturgical singing and for general hymn singing. But someone I, can I just say, someone I enjoy listening to is Maddie Pryor. You know, she, what was she famous for? Some, um, some famous sort of um, group or something. Maddie Pryor and the Carnival Band, we're a big fan of them here at Radio Maria and we oh, often play them. And I think we've, I will, I think our next music break, we will have To Be a Pilgrim sung by Maddie Pryor. Um, yes. But in the meantime, back to your amazing journey. Oh, right. Well, the amazing journey of Colin Carr, who <laughs> doesn't feel very amazing himself, but. Um, um, Having become a Catholic, I um, thought I might well want to go into what we would call full-time ministry. In other words, uh, in Catholic language, become a priest. Um, And I wrote to one or two religious orders and just generally looked around the place. And I found um, the Jesuits who invited me to work with them in uh, Africa, in what is now Zimbabwe, which in those days was still Rhodesia under Ian Smith and UDI, Unilateral Declaration of Independence. Um, So I went out there in 68 and worked with the Jesuits for a couple of years in um, St. Ignatius College, uh, Chishawasha, about 14 miles due north, uh, northeast, north east, I think it was, of um, what was then Salisbury, now Harare, and greatly valued that time teaching um, Latin and English and various things in that school. Um, so uh, when I came back to England, I did a retreat to find out what I wanted to do under the Jesuit then novice master Michael Kine at Rain Hill in um, Liverpool. And at the end, I seemed to discern that I should apply to become a diocesan priest, not a member of a religious order, but a diocesan priest, because I felt that there one would, in that work, one would meet people as complete people rather than in a specialized setting. Uh, such as many, um, for instance, college chaplains or prison chaplains and so forth would would do. Um, and so I went to the seminary for the Westminster Diocese because I belonged down around London, really. Um, uh, and uh, from Westminster, uh, from, from where, from, um, St. Edmund's College in where now is called Allen Hall, and is in London. Um, I went to uh, study at the then fairly new to London Heathrop College, run again by Jesuits. They played a big part in my life. Jesuits and Dominicans are supposed to be at loggerheads about something or other, but I can't remember what it is. And I get on very well well with Jesuits. Um, 
so we I studied there, but it was a mixed. Uh, it was just like in a sense of just an ordinary London college, and there were men, women, and so forth there. And I found I kept um, falling in love with one or two of the women students, and I thought, well, hey, this celibacy lark. I'm not sure if it's quite the right thing for me. And I actually left, and for a time was engaged to be married, um, but then also knew that somehow it wouldn't work. Um, and dear Steph, to whom I was engaged, um, was rather heartbroken by my decision, and it was my decision. She didn't want to break it up, um, but she did marry, and we did keep in touch uh, every now and again. Um, and I now pray for her because she died quite young. Um, not, I hope, of a broken heart, because one of her daughters uh, is still in touch with me from time to time. Um, so a friend of mine said to me, have you ever thought of the Dominicans? Because they like doing theology, they sort of live in community, but not, <clears throat> not in an enclosed kind of community. They are very interested in politics and that sort of thing. And, and so I, I took an interest and I met um, a chaplain to students in West London called Timothy Radcliffe, whom, whose name you might well know. He's become, uh, he became later the master of the Dominican order and um, is a great friend of mine, certainly. And, and there are probably many, many people who would say he's a great friend of theirs. One of those people who can treat you as though you're the only person in the world when you're with them. And so he put me in touch with the novice master of the Dominicans, and I went to Blackfriars, Oxford, to find out about Dominicans, and that's where the novitiate was. So I joined the novitiate and was um, happily there for a year, and then continued studying in Oxford uh, for um, some more years before I got ordained in 1981, because uh, they wanted to get me ordained before I started drawing my pension, really. Um, sorry, I was really only 40 when I was ordained. But Dominicans attract me for various reasons, which my friends saw they would attract me for. Um, there's a community living. We're not a sort of lone pioneers. Um, we are very interested in theology. We take it very seriously and study it seriously. Of course, the sort of great Dominican theologian who was followed by Dominicans and many other people um, uh, was St. Thomas Aquinas, and he did theology in a particular way. Uh, we don't necessarily have to use the same method, but he, he was very imaginative, and he brought into his theology all forms of human wisdom. So um, it was not about shutting yourself off from humanity, but actually discovering how really to be human. I mean, that's true of all Catholic theology, but Dominicans are very uh, good at stressing. Well, I'm not sure about very good at, but we, we, we do insist on stressing that to be a follower of Christ is to become more human, not less human. Now, I remember a, uh, a chorus that we used to 
um, sing in my evangelical days, which went, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, which sounds, oh, doesn't that sound lovely and, and, and um, romantic and all that, but actually I don't think it's right, because what happens, I think, in the light of uh, Christ's glory and grace is that the things of earth become strangely clear and very, very important to us, uh, so that if we're having a distraction in our prayer and we're thinking of bus timetables instead of what we think we're supposed to be thinking about in prayer, um, then well, maybe we could think about those bus timetables time and ask God to help our country to have a decent transport system which is serving all the people, not just some of the people, uh, and, and so forth. So the Dominicans are about Jesus with us in the world and making the world a place which welcomes God and accepting our bodiliness, the sacramental nature of everything around in our world, um, the importance of things to help us draw close to God, rather than running away from things, running away from our bodies so as to cultivate something called our soul. It, for us, we are ensouled bodies or embodied souls, and the two are very, very important together. So we live in community, we sing praises to God, uh, we sing the Psalms largely, and we, we live a life together and strengthen each other or um, annoy each other, as the case may be. But I mean, on, on the whole, a Dominican life is, is a matter of brethren strengthening each other and um, it's a life that leads us forward uh, to a greater and greater love of God and a greater and greater love of truthfulness and of the glory uh, of God and the wisdom of God. Now, have I said enough for the moment? Is it, does that um that's absolutely fascinating. I've got so many questions coming to mind uh, about the Dominicans and about your journey. But let's open the phone lines just in case anyone does have a question or a comment. Father Colin would love to hear from you about your own journey or what he's been saying today, how it's resonated with you. The number is 01 223 375 Two two three three seven five five six four, and let's have a listen to Maddie Pryor's "To Be a Pilgrim," which we mentioned earlier.
I do love Maddie Price, always so much full of energy and joy. And here's someone else who's always full of energy and joy. We have Helena on the line. Helena, you're through to Father Colin. Hi, Father Colin. Hi, Helena. Speaking of energy and joy. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story. I completely agree with you with um, sharing the Bible with your children um, or with you as a family. It doesn't even need to be children. I have been doing the, <laughs> the Bible in a Year course, the, the podcast, yes. and it has, it has, why didn't I had no idea that King David had such a life? I, we're now under Solomon, and I had no. I thought he was just a good guy that told parents to cut the child in half or whatever. But no, he had so much more to him too. So, uh, Father Collins, the Bible's so rich of good drama, of comedy as yeah. well, and just lovely stories of our salvation, like you explained. And listeners, it is such a lovely thing to do personally and as a family so totally agree you're spot on father colin yeah i i mean they apart from anything oh. else they're just good stories in, in the bible really good rip, ripping yarns as you might say and 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 this is the, and the whole point is that god's relationship with us is a story so, so I, yes, I, I'm all for people reading the Bible. Is that the Bible in the year with, is it with Robert Barron or not? Uh, no, this is with Father Mike Schmidt. He's a, he's a Midwestern. I think he's from yeah. Minnesota or somewhere. Father Mike Schmidt, it's, it's on, um, he's, he's, uh, he does Ascension Presents. He's a, he's a YouTube yeah. priest. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> YouTube. Great. Father Colin, you are Radio Maria priest. That's better than a YouTube priest. Thank you, Helena, so much for your call. I'll just give out the number once more. If anyone else has a comment or a question, it is 01223755564. I've got a question for Father Colin. Father Colin, this morning, Father Toby Lees mentioned on Culture Tuesday... Um, that the master of the Dominican order had been in London over the weekend. He'd never visited before. And he also mentioned that he went to Oxford and he hadn't been there. So can I just ask you this rather um, sensitive question? Why did the master go to Oxford and, and not Cambridge this weekend? How did you take well, it in Cambridge? <laughs> well, we all make mistakes, don't we? But um, <laughs> I think the, the thing is that Oxford um, is where the Dominicans first came to Britain in 1221, uh, so the 800th anniversary was is, was mainly celebrated last year, but we're still um, uh, enjoying the aftershocks of, of that celebration. And one of the things that happened was a concert in London with, the, with James Macmillan, the great um, composer, who has links himself with the Dominican order. And um, so... London obviously had a, a, a presence, uh, the master was there, but he went to Oxford because that's where they started. The, the Dominicans arrived in Oxford, um, but the Cambridge Priory opened in 1238. Uh, I think I know that because that's the key to one of our um, one of those gates that you sort of unlock by pressing numbers on it and so forth but I, but I could never remember anything else like which way to turn the key but um, 
but yes, so so that's uh, it's not really. I mean, we're not offended here in Cambridge if he didn't come here, um, but we would love to see him sometime. Every every now and again, the master of the order and our present master, uh, brother Gerard Timonair, is a Filipino. Um, the master comes round to all the houses if he can in a particular province that's for us England and Scotland and meets everybody absolutely everybody um, and had a little chat with them uh, to get a sense of what's going on in the province um, so this has not been a visitation but he no doubt will do one and we'll all get a chance to meet him um, I said brother because we we all call each other's uh, other brother whether we're ordained or not um, because we are all brothers together friars a friar is a brother talking about visitation you mentioned today as a as a translation I know in the church we are celebrating a memorial of Mary help of Christians but you Dominicans are celebrating something else could you tell us a little bit about that yes it's called the translation of Saint Dominic and if anybody was listening to Mass this morning, they um, will have heard me preaching at it um, and pointing out what it's about. It's not that Dominic wrote in a foreign language and somebody translated him. That is not that sense of translation. But he was moved. Um, when he was first buried, it wasn't in a terribly distinguished tomb or anything, because on the whole, we Dominicans don't worry about making a great fuss of each other, even of the, the great St. Dominic. Um, you know, if a person's died, we put them in a tomb, and that's, that's it. We remember them, we pray for them, and, and so forth, and tell stories about them. But about, I think it was nine years after he'd been put in the tomb, people realized that he had been a great man, and I think already miracles were beginning to happen um, amongst people who invoked the name of Dominic. And people said, well, surely he should be given rather a more grand tomb. And so he was moved from his rather poor tomb, with great pomp and circumstances and archbishops and bishops around and installed in a beautiful sort of marble tomb <coughs> in, if I remember rightly, the city of Bologna. But that's a typical Dominican thing. I can't even remember where he's buried because we don't necessarily worry about that sort of detail, but we do um, take note of what sort of a person he was and what sort of a message he gave to us. Um, so he was translated. So this is it's not a great feast day, it's, a, it's just a memory day. Our main feast day for St Dominic's is the 8th of August. Um, now the problem with having a big feast day on the 8th of August is that in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, probably in many other parts of the world, it's a kind of a holiday month. So lots of Dominicans might be away from their priory and um, not able to or join in a, a big celebration. So sometimes today is counted as the big solemnity, as we'd call it, of St. Dominic, <coughs> and the 8th of August will just be kept as a memory. But the sort of default position is that the 8th of August is the big day, and that's certainly going to be the case here in Cambridge and today is just a memory. It's, uh, you know, we remember 
the fact that St. Dominic was uh, honoured later on after his his burial and given a proper kind of entombment uh, under marble and all sorts of things. And there was apparently this beautifully sweet odour coming from his body. And if you touched it, you too would smell nice. And, and if your clothes touched it, they would smell lovely. So um, we remember this, um, but not with huge pomp and circumstances. It's, in a sense, just another memorial day. But because it's St. Dominic, of course, we Dominicans, um, lo we love him and, and we feel uh, very excited by today. But we don't expect anybody else to feel <laughs> very excited. Although, in fact, we had more than usual number of people at Mass today. And that may not just be a coincidence. Thank you so much. That's very interesting. I was actually at St. Dominic's on Saturday night and I can tell you people were pouring into the concert and I commented to Father Toby, I hope your masses are as busy as this. So let's just have another music break. Um, um, and please do give us a ring if you have any comments or questions. The number is 01223 it's a piece of music that Father Colin has chosen and I'm sure he'll say something to us about it afterwards. Thine be the glory from Handel.
line be The Glory, sung by the Choir of King's College here in Cambridge. And Father Colin, what, what does, why did you choose that piece of music? Well, partly because it's Easter time still, and it's an Easter hymn. And I love Handel. It's, it's music from his um, oratorio, I think it's called Judas Maccabeus. The tune is simply called Maccabeus. Um, the, the words are written, written by a Frenchman called Edmond Budry. À toi la gloire, la gloire au ressuscité. Um, and uh, it's translated, if you are interested to know, by Richard Hoyle. Not a lot of people know that. Um, and it's, again, quite popular. It's in our new English hymnal. It's in lots of hymn books. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering son. Endless is the victory thou o'er death hast won. So it's both the words and the music, which I love very much. And I suppose like many, many, many people, um, I grew up uh, learning, in a sense, classical music from listening to Handel's Messiah. Um, a lovely thing I saw, can I just do a little diversion? I, someone sent me um, a YouTube or whatever it was um, clip about a, a flash mob that was in an American diner cafe. It, it was. It seemed to be part of a big um, shopping complex, as this as if it was in the Grand Arcade in in uh, Cambridge uh, or something like that. And there was people dining away. And there was a woman with. Uh, um, mobile ear, a mobile phone to her ear. It may have been a mobile ear as well. Um, and she um, suddenly sang out, Hallelujah, um, if you'll pardon my um, my lack of music. And, and then from here, there and everywhere amongst the diners, people stood up and joined in the Alleluia chorus. One chap walking along with a mop and one of those signs which says wet floor, um, suddenly dropped his things and said, and he shall reign forever and ever. Um, again, pardon the, um, the tunefulness or lack of it. And it was just, it was absolutely tremendous. And they, it was obviously a very good, I should think, church choir, a uh, big, big church choir, which had decided to do this flash mob thing, un sort of unannounced, obviously with the permission of the owners. <laughs> and all the other people, diners there, were absolutely riveted by what was going on, and, and it ended with people clapping like mad. Um, but that was a beautiful way of bringing the Alleluia chorus to a, a large, unsuspecting public. Um, but I think Handel was someone who... Uh, as my music teacher at school once said, knew his Bible inside out and uh, brought the Bible alive in a very, very startlingly beautiful way, uh, just as some of Bach's oratorios and so forth are um, so lovely. And they're not they're not Catholic things, um, although ba um, Bach wrote a mass in B minor and that kind of thing, but they're... Um, they're just music which is shared by all of us. So we Catholics sing hymns, a lot of them by uh, John Wesley. Uh, no, not John Wesley, Charles Wesley. John Wesley was the great preacher. Charles Wesley, his brother, wrote the hymns on the whole. So um, 
for instance, and almost everybody who goes to church in, in a church where people sing will have sung Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, uh, Joy of Earth to Heaven Come Down. Um, and that is uh, a, a Wesley hymn. We sing lots of them. Um, yeah, and that's that's fine. That's great. That's something that's, that's happened a lot in, in recent years, that Catholics have become have come to realize the um, spiritual riches of other Christian denominations. And also other Christian denominations have come to realize that Catholics aren't all sort of two-headed monsters, but also have a great spiritual heritage, and, and of course a, a, a heritage which lasts right back to the earliest Christian days. Not, not to say centuries, but just days. Um, so we... Um, we enjoy sharing each other's things. Um, well, now, we—I've got a question actually for you, um, oh, yes. Father Colin. Um, just a reminder of the number. If anyone else has a question, it's oh one two two three three seven five five six four. As Father Colin said, he's not a Catholic with two heads. He's very friendly. Uh, priest and friar and he would be very happy to answer your question this morning it's just a question about the Dominicans it's very clear from these going to your priory here in Cambridge and in Oxford and indeed in London as well that there are a lot of young Dominicans and it's quite rare I'm, I know the Benedictines I recently was there and I saw they're all rather white haired um, what is why is the, the order still attracting so many young novices? What, what is the secret of um, the, you know, this, this life in the order in England and perhaps all around the world? Yes, it's, it's I mean, it's a very um, encouraging phenomenon. Uh, um, and many religious orders are really facing um, a kind of depletion, which makes them wonder how long they'll be able to go on operating at all uh, in a particular country. And we've been getting um, novices. There are four of our novices at the moment um, here, and hopefully they will go on then to study in Oxford. Um, and as you say, there are a, a number of younger Dominicans. Um, I mean, I'm getting younger every day, as it is anyway, and, and I'm only 80 so far, so I've got quite a lot of getting younger to do still. Um, but um, I think they, they find that we have a, a community life um, and a liturgical life, which is... Um, how shall I put it? It's it's, it's fairly straightforward. Um, we sing on the whole plain chant, English and Latin plain chant. We uh, study, and obviously we attract people who want to study their faith. Um, and we live in community. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking for um, something richer than the sort of individualism which very often uh, people are encouraged to believe in as the kind of natural way of being human. Uh, perhaps it's actually much more natural to live in community, uh, obviously sometimes in families, um, but here in the Dominican family, we uh, attract many people. And of course, we're not just men. We're, we're, there are Dominican sisters um, and lay Dominican 
people who are also associated with the order and very much see themselves as Dominicans. Um, uh, the first Dominicans actually were women, were the nuns, who, uh, some of whom were, uh, as it were, rescued from the um, Albigensian heresy, as we would call it, <laughs> not a very polite word, um, uh, when St. Dominic started in uh, an area of what we would now call southern France to preach the gospel, and uh, some women who wanted to um, join the Catholic faith rather than the um, Albigensian faith, which they'd been brought up in, uh, a faith which was very anti um, material matters, anti bodies, and so forth. Um, they uh, possibly had quite a hard time or would face quite a hard time if they became Catholics. And so some of them formed into communities of nuns uh, in the uh, commune of Pruy. P R O U I W L E, Pouille, in again the south of France. We um, had the first non Dominican nuns. They were the first people actually to be Dominicans. And nun, in, in Dominican terms, nuns doesn't mean uh, the same as sisters, it means contemplative sisters, sisters who uh, remain enclosed and uh, spend most of their time praying, but they're very much. Uh, Dominicans, and although the men um, in this rather male chauvinist world are called the first order, um, and the Dominican nuns the second order, and other sisters and lay people the third order, or something like that, uh, I think we're, you know, not using that kind of terminology uh, nearly so much now. The um, the, the nuns are one form of Dominican, and then sisters um, are also very much present here. And, and of course, uh, our sisters live just a, a few hundred yards up the road from us, um, because the Cambridge house is also a novitiate. And so we have very, very lo lovely relationships and friendships with the uh, Dominican sisters. And, of course, also lay Dominicans meet here at Blackfriars in, in Cambridge and um, are, are also a very important part of the Dominican order. As I said, uh, James Macmillan was sort of associated with the Glasgow uh, lay Dominicans um, when uh, we had Dominicans in Glasgow and under the uh, the chapter of, of Dominicans, uh, lay Dominicans, can go on even when Dominicans themselves, uh, the Dominican friars, disappear, because the friars are not the only Dominicans. It's very important to remember that. Um, so that's all getting a bit technical, isn't it? But we. Well, that's very interesting. No, thank you. Um, let's just have a very short listen to the Alleluia Chorus, which you mentioned. And imagine that you are in your local shopping centre and, um, and this is what you hear.
and he shall reign forever and ever. Father Colin, I've just had a very good idea. What about a, rather than a pop-up choir, a pop-up Dominicans with a bit of plain chant in the Grand Arcade next time? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> I, think yes. That, I think that would be a very uh, good, um, in the evangelical spirit. Um, yep. Anyway, back over to you. If you could just give our listeners your parting words today and, uh, and a prayer and a blessing, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Lovely. Just think, listening to the Hallelujah Chorus with your sticky toffee pudding, um, make, it improves it enormously. Um, and I think, again, that, that, if that may sound frivolous and, and um, um, almost um, a little bit irreverent, but, uh, but there is a fundamental irreverence in, in our faith. God joins us, God the Almighty, the Great, the Pure, the Utterly Good God, joins our humanity uh, in Christ. So what Dominicans are about is the same as any Christians are about, um, making Christ known and sharing the joy of faith and the, the joy of truth, the delight in the truth which we have. One very great man who was uh, there long before Dominicans were invented was the Venerable Bede, who wrote about that extraordinary uh, period in early uh, English history of um, Lindisfarne and all the, uh, the, the greatness associated with that. And he was a great scholar himself and one who uh, sought the truth, both of the scriptures and of the ordinary world around. He was a scientist as well as a, a scripture scholar. And he wrote this beautiful prayer. I implore you, good Jesus, that as in your mercy you have given me to drink in with delight the words of your knowledge, so of your loving kindness you will also grant me one day to come to you, the fountain of all wisdom, and to stand forever before your face. Amen. Amen. And then if we end with a blessing, and again, I've used this on Radio Maria before, the blessing of Aaron and his fellow priests on the people of Israel, which uh, we find in the Old Testament, um, which of course is, was very important to me in my evangelical days and still is very important to me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Colin, for sharing with us your, your very fascinating journey. And we look forward to the next time you'll join us on Radio Maria. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Always nice to work with you. <laughs>